Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. The more choice that a customer has, the more um, compelling that human element of that service needs to be. Because increasingly, customers will choose an automated, hassle-free route over running the risk of interacting with a grumpy, unhelpful human on the end of the phone or face-to-face. And yeah. that is the point at which you know uh, an organisation needs to step up. Because yes. we can only put outward what we feel inward. Quick, the robots are coming, look busy. This week we're in the company of Laura Thompson, business trainer extraordinaire, who says that building better, more responsible businesses is all about making sure us humans are as phenomenal as we can be. Stay tuned. Yes, uh, welcome back. This is episode 44 of The Better Business Show. Thanks for coming back to us. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Sorry we didn't have our usual Friday Five podcast last week. Uh, The week just got away from me and I wasn't able to jump on a call with Vix and do our usual thing. So sorry about that. Uh, But there was so much to chat about uh, last week. What a week in the world of politics. Uh, Donald Trump, President of the United States. Wow. Wow. Um, of course, you know, there's been plenty of commentary in the, in the days that followed uh, about the hows and the whys and the, the wherefores of how somebody like that has ended up um, in the, the highest seat in global politics. Um, we know what's happened. We know why. Um, the biggest fear right now, if you're working in the field of sustainability in climate change, in renewable energy, is just what this decision will mean for the world's response to global warming. And frankly, it is pretty scary right now we know um we now have somebody in high office that does not share the belief that climate change is man-made uh does not share the belief that the world's governments and businesses and civilians uh, need to rally uh, to work together to find solutions and ways of dealing with it um we now have somebody hell-bent on reversing the job done by president obama and those before him um to put the u.s one of the world's biggest emitters of carbon and greenhouse gases on a path that aligns with almost every nation on this planet. So what comes next is anybody's guess, frankly. Early signs don't look good, though. Uh, President-elect Trump has selected Myron Ebel, uh, who basically disputes the scientific consensus around anthropogenic global warming, and he's now going to be leading the Environmental Protection Agency's transition team which is frankly a disastrous start. And the worry now for me is that, you know, you have somebody in high authority, high profile, um, who goes against the grain now. Here in 2016, we have more than 190 countries collectively agreeing that climate change is a problem and they're committed to doing something about it. The Paris Agreement, which came into force earlier this month, is testament to that. But just as we are likely to see a rise in far-right sentiment following Trump's victory, from Marie Le Pen in France to the far-right groups taking hold in places like Austria and across Europe, um, we could well see the climate sceptics and those of those people that are unsure as to the benefits of dealing with climate change, uh, the unenlightened, let's face it, being buoyed somehow by Trump's win, being buoyed by the fact that they now might have somebody on their side championing their ideals and their belief systems on their behalf, someone who's in power. And that's what we don't want. So who knows what's going to happen in the coming weeks and months 
and years from now. We know Trump is totally unpredictable. We know he's completely unreliable. He's already uh, reversed his position on things like Obamacare in the last few days. So he could well do the same when it comes to the Paris deal. Um, but one thing's for certain, um, you know, it's up to us as you know a community of, of activists, as a community of, of communicators, environmentalists, as a community of realists, to continue to bang this drum for what we see makes sense, just makes good business sense, just makes sense uh, in the world, and hope that people like Trump can continue to be won over. Um, oh God, it, yeah, it's miserable, and I, it, it's, it must be quite scary for lots of people around the world right now. Um, but we must we must stand firm. We must continue to to fight the good fight on all things climate change. Now it's time to get a bit more upbeat uh, for today's show. It's got a really really interesting guest for you this week, and we're going to be talking robotics. We're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, and these two things are coming more and more. Uh, a part of our everyday life, and they have the potential to transform the way healthcare works, the way transport works, the way manufacturing works, even our domestic chores. And it's thought that around 60% of kids starting primary school right now will end up in a profession that does not yet exist. That's amazing. And there's a good chance that there's going to be a worldwide shortage of roboticists by 2030, that's certainly the prediction. Artificial intelligence and robotics are showing up in every part of life, anywhere from driving to the mobile technology we use, how our data is managed in the world, how our homes are going to be built in the future. So given its ubiquity, it's really important to start addressing the strengths and limitations of artificial intelligence, which is what we're going to be talking about right now on this week's show. But it is early days. Essentially, AI and robotics are making us smarter because we're able to leverage computers and search databases in ways that we just couldn't before take something like healthcare there's no doubt that we're going to see machine learning techniques try to get a better understanding of what symptoms might lead to certain diseases and that's good news progress is good but right now artificial intelligence is not nearly as smart as people would like it to be we're nowhere near a car that can drive itself under all conditions at all times the early versions of the self-driving car for example will be those that can drive themselves very reliably under certain slow conditions and environments that are really quite structured the use of ai and robots throws up all manner of questions about ethics there's very good reason that this is a subject that will feature very prominently on the agenda when the world economic forum kicks off in davos in january There is an argument which says that we as humans need to be sure that the decision logic that we program into systems is what we perceive to be ethical. And then, of course, that the sensors can actually detect the world as it is and what we hope it should be. There's a fantastic article that the World Economic Forum published last month. uh, Can we trust robots to make ethical decisions? which this article lists a whole bunch of different examples where AI has kind of gone wrong. I'll put a link in today's show notes for you. Uh, driverless cars is on that list and there's been plenty of debate about how google has actually programmed an algorithm so that the driverless cars actually hit a building before they hit a person for example um 
But despite these ongoing ethical, moral, sustainable dilemmas, AI and robots are here to stay. By 2030, we're going to see much more technology being used in homes, offices, cars that really understand our behaviour and can change the environment. They might make a building heat, heat up or cool down, for example, or do various tasks around the home. You'll see medicine improve too. And the general assumption is that we live in an improved world, but one in which we're just going to have to accept And crucially, that AI and robotics, the increased use of these, will lead to job displacement. And that is something our guest on this week's show wholeheartedly contests. Laura Thompson, a workplace learning and development consultant who started up her business, Phenomenal Training, about eight years ago, has spent many years working with businesses, uh, training teams to maximise their potential, whether that's in sales or management or leadership communications. Uh, and for the last few years, really sort of honing in on the uh, uh, decision making under pressure for leaders in business. A few hugely fascinating profession she's in. And she's been closely monitoring the rise of robots in the workplace and is confident that the value of humans in our creativity, our curiosity, our ability to, to care and empathize and the way in which we can work together should not be ignored or underestimated in the face of the smarts and the efficiency and the gains in productivity that are, have been brought about by robots. Anyway, here's my chat with Laura this week. Laura, thank you so much for being on The Better Business Show. Lovely to have you join us. And it's a slight departure for us this week, as our lovely audience is about to find out. But I'm very excited to speak with you and find out about what you're up to right now and to explore some of your work. Uh, Laura, let's kick off by finding out a bit about you. Who are you? What is it that you do? Hello, Tom. Um, So I've been working for the last 16, 17 years in the world of workplace learning and development. Um, and for the last eight years, I've, I've been running my own business, phenomenal training, working with a number of different clients, looking at how they can maximise the potential of people they work with, who work right. in their businesses. So ranging from big clients such as Heathrow Airport, um, Argos, Habitat, Home Base, Body Shop, um, Phase 8, um, as well as kind of small, funky little agencies based in Soho, etc. Um, and also increasingly more work in the public sector, so with schools and education departments. Okay, so what is it you're specifically sort of helping them do when you when you go into a big business like Heathrow, uh, work with their teams? What is it you're actually helping them do? Um, well, I guess historically I would have been brought in to help um, leadership development. So right. what can the leaders within that organisation do to um, get the best out of their teams, um, align everyone to the organizational goal and kind of you know get things moving get things going in a way that is is um, uh, you know good for the teams and good for the business etc um, however the slant I have brought in the uh, to it in the sort of the last 12 to 18 months is particularly looking at what are those unique human elements of mm. within that organization in terms of what they do the product or the service and um, how can we then optimize and maximize those specific unique human elements okay. um so that's the kind of slant i've been working on recently yeah yeah which, which is a lovely segue into what we want to sort of really focus on in today's chat which is about robots which i know that it's become a bit of a obsession for you um <laughs> and for good reason i was looking at the agenda for the forthcoming uh, world economic forum happening in davos as it does every january and yeah. robotics and ai is a big part of the agenda this time around yes um 
Give us a sense of what changes you're seeing in the workplace in these last few years. I mean, what's happening? Obviously, the advent of AI and the use of robotics in a number of sectors. But what what are you seeing happening in, in the workplace? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's interesting with Davos, Tom, because it was it was last year that the World Economic Forum at the last Davos conference, po- uh, I think the the the, the key paper they um, key white paper they published was the one that said like forty eight percent of jobs are are you know at risk of of automation, etc. So, right. it, you know, it's interesting they're building on that as a theme again this year because that was the first kind of um, formal acknowledgement, I think, that, you know, there's there's a, a, an interesting future ahead of us in terms of our sort of world at work. Right. So what I'm seeing right now is, um, you know, in the world of manufacturing and production, um, robots and the use of robots has, has completely transformed what a factory looks like. You know, I mean, you've only got to look at the recent change in the Rolls-Royce factory where, you know, the, uh, by removing humans from that workplace, it's actually increased the productivity by it being mainly manned by robots i believe i have no kind of um direct experience of that but from what i've read in the newspaper what i'm seeing in the workplaces i'm working in is you then have this um increased kind of uh clash i guess between um the 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 machines within a role and then the workarounds that the humans have to do as those machines are becoming more and more sophisticated so what i mean by that is if you look at an an airport you've got customers passengers checking in and um you know like in supermarkets you've got the self-serve option and the self-serve option like in a supermarket and an airport work (laughs) as well as the sort of the end user so many times i've been stuck at you know a supermarket with an unexpected item in my baggage area and you know the equivalent (laughs) happens in an airport as well and at that point the system comes to a standstill because you still need a human to come along and help another human yeah so what i'm observing are increasingly examples of where you've got a human looking a little bit lost who's in that kind of customer position waiting for someone to come and kind of help them and i think we'll see that over the next two or three years just as we kind of work out what are the roles that are ideal to be automated and what are those um, positions that actually still need a human? So I'm increasingly kind of seeing that. The interesting observation, I think, is the difference between robots and AI is where robotics predominantly looks at replacing the heavy lifting of a job. So, mm. uh, for example, in Terminal 3 in Heathrow, there's the um, two <clears throat> big robot arms. Um, so you've got the, uh, the, the, the robots that pack and all the baggage in a really kind of clever way and they replace the heavy lifting and the manual injury that you know all the guys working down there may have experienced from lifting all the heaviest bags so robots um are kind of increasingly replacing the doing aspects of a job i think what's fascinating about artificial intelligence hence the interest of this is davos is that artificial intelligence now we have the cloud able to handle all the data and the 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 computers are able to make more and more insightful um leaps of logic from the data that it's able to now store artificial intelligence is now going to be able to do some of those more service related aspects of a job and that is what will become increasingly game-changing who right. is smarter to make a decision about something with a job? Is it a human using gut feel or is it a piece of AI using ultra rational <clears throat> and decisions on information? Yeah. So it's early days, basically, yeah. but, but businesses are not going to be able to kind of, uh, you know, pass up the opportunity to, for robotics or AI to create efficiency, boost productivity, um, you know, reduce health and safety incidents. I mean, this is all really, really good stuff, isn't it? We're only going to yeah. see more, more of this stuff, aren't we? It's, that's the prediction, yes. isn't it? 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the, if, you, if you have a look at um, any industry that has um, a manual labour aspect to it, I yeah. mean, the, the amount of lost time and, uh, due to injury, but the moral cost as well. I mean, no one wants to send out, you know, a construction worker or someone on a factory line or someone that has to lift for a living. No one wants to knowingly do set out a job that hurts, you know, hurts their people. So, I mean, that that's mm. the amazing stuff about robots and AI. Plus, in the world of war- warfare and emergency rescues, I mean, increasingly robotics and, and drones are being used to rescue people from the most horrendous of circumstances that previously um, humans wouldn't have been allowed to go in due to the dynamic risk assessment. So, I mean, yeah. the, the, it is really quite moving the way that actually um, the use of, um, humanoids and drones, etc., are able to kind of, you know, help and protect us. Um, I just think in the meantime, there's some interesting decisions we need to have about um, the way we kind of handle the change that we're going through now, just yeah. to make sure that the right things are delegated out and the right things are then kept um, yeah. kind of human aspects of the job. And ultimately, I guess there will always be this mix going forward. I mean, I, I guess one of the arguments about uh, against something like a self-service till in a supermarket is that, you know, it, it does away with that kind of that human interaction. And lots of people say, well, I, I don't go to those tills because I want to talk to someone. But actually, similarly, you get people that don't want to talk to people and actually would rather just do it themselves because they, they don't want that human interaction. It, it kind of goes both ways, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Which all boils down to choice. <clears throat> So it's the feeling of that passenger or that customer or that person, uh, that service user, having the feeling of choice in that moment. Yeah. Do, I cho- do I choose to take the automated route or do I choose to take the human in- human route? And then we will then look at both. So that customer will look at them and think, right, well, that, comp- that, that, that self-service till looks a little bit tricky and I've got lots of unusual shaped items in my trolley. So actually, <laughs> it's going to take me a while. Or they then look at, uh, you know, maybe the grumpy resting face of the cashier sitting at the till and someone's then making a decision, which way do I go? And that's the bit that um, I think, uh, you know, that the clients I've been working with have been most interested in is the more choice that a customer has, Mm. um, the more um, compelling that human element of that service needs to be. Because increasingly, customers will choose an automated, hassle-free route over running the risk of interacting with a grumpy, unhelpful human on the end of the phone or face-to-face. And yeah. that is the point at which um, you know, uh, an organization needs to step up. Because yes. we can only put outward what we feel inward. And once you look at that really cleanly, the service your, your people will extend outward to the customer will be a reflection of the service they feel from you as their employer. And once yeah, you look right. at it really simply and binary is that, it allows you to then just, you know, make some, you know, really, really good decisions about how you run a better business. You get better business that, for the, those organisations that treat their people better. It's kind yeah. of all makes sense, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you, you kind of refer to these, these four Cs, don't you? Um, yes. Of, I guess, yeah, human value, things that, 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 you know, robots, AI, algorithms can't do which is hugely important. Talk us through the four C's, Laura. Okay, so where that came from was I was commissioned by a client of mine, a group of us, to do um, a a longitudinal study, really, uh, based on lots of research, looking at qualitative and quantitative, asking all the top performing leaders within that organisation. So there's about 100 of them, I think, in sort of in one of those, in the the upper end of the the organisation, looking at, okay, over the next 10 to 15 years, what do you think are going to be the core skills of great leaders to take us to our vision and beyond? 
So it was a pretty big question. Yeah. And from that, um, what, what was interesting is there were three key skills, I guess, that came out, which were emotional intelligence. So the ab- ability to handle emotions and deal with emotions in an intelligent way with the people they work with, customers, team members, etc. Personal resilience. So the ability to withstand and handle pressure and you know, emerge from life's disruption stronger and wiser and being able to handle mood, I guess, that kind of personal resilience bit. And then mental presence. So the ability for gut feel, intuitive decision making, vision, imagination, etc. Um, and by looking at those skills, what that then tools up that human to be able to do is then in the moment, take the choice to um, act in a human way. So by having those three kind of skills, that then allows that human in that moment to be caring, collaborative, Mm. creative and curious. So this is what I've kind of called the four C's. Um, And the ability to uh, to care and to be collaborative and to be creative and to be curious are quite special, phenomenal moments in a job because someone may be paid to look after you and help you get from A to B. But to choose to, in that moment, just touch you on the arm or ask a question, how are you really? And it's those kind of opportune, those moments where someone extends genuine care that yeah. take your breath away because you know, as a customer, that someone has chosen to, to, to be caring with you in that moment. And I think what's going to be interesting over the next five to 10 years is, you see, this, this is not just the impact of us in work as workers but for many many of us work is our social life as well and it's where we spend the majority of our day so the more we are caring collaborative curious and creative with each other the 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 um, the happier we tend to be at work so those those teams that work really well together they check in on each other they're curious as to how they can you know get better at what they do and they work outside of a silo so many clients i know struggle where team a doesn't talk to team b and they're unknowingly just working on lots of things and not aligning together they're not collaborating Mm. um and actually the more that um, the more that a job is, the more that an industry becomes automated, the more those flaws in the way that we handle ourselves at work will become apparent. And that's what yeah. I think um, is, 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 you know, something we can do right now, which is from the human aspects of our job, if we can work as best as possible, then actually that means that, you know, an industry can be really benefited by bringing in robots and AI because the people are already at their peak. So you have a, yeah. you know, a brilliant customer service and, and a business that works really well. So is is the danger that, that companies go down the route of, of replacing humans too quickly before they've actually made those humans or maximise their potential as, as 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 responsible kind of decent humans that can bring about business benefits? They're kind of too quick to do that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think I think so. And, and, and you know, even as I hear you say that, that sounds like such a big sort of lofty concept. So let's look at the world's large, uh, fourth largest employer, McDonald's. Yeah. So it's really interesting looking at the work, you know, the huge big employers in, in the world. And McDonald's, I believe, has 1.2 million people on their payroll. And so let's have a look at McDonald's as a, as a, as a massive employer. So it, it was um, an article that I, I read earlier on this year talking about how McDonald's were um, bringing in more and more tech in their kind of, it's like a big iPad that they've got in their flagship stores where you right. can choose your own burger and it goes straight through to the kitchen and it automates out that kind of burger taking, that order taking bit. But in the meantime, they're recruiting 5,000 more people into the UK 
and training them up in table service skills. So to create more of a restaurant kind of service feel. And um, so it just kind of struck me as interesting from a number of different angles, really, in that you've got an example of a better service for customers in Mm. that, um, you know, you've got efficiencies from the order taking, but then you've got the kind of the culture point of view in terms of, you know, a nice place to eat, you know, from a restaurant. So, um, you know, if you're there with kids, you know, someone to come along and chat with your kids, et cetera, and give them crayons and all that kind of great stuff. But it also struck me that on a deeper level of course if mcdonald's doesn't keep on recruiting people then um who's going to be buying the burgers because a lot of people that work for a particular company are the type of people that consume from that type of company so i think Mm. that's then the uh, quite serious question that then faced us is is that as more and more of these very large employers will be starting to automate more and more of the jobs that then at some point could have some uh, you know serious consequences because if starbucks automates everything who's going to be buying the coffee in the morning because you know it, it just takes the consumers out of the um out of that mm. supply chain so where mcdonald's i think i'm going to do it really well is where not only they're bringing in tech which benefits the company the, the customer but they're also equipping their um staff with the, with their their teams with those human skills of service and hospitality etc so all in all a better business for their customers and their and yeah their yeah i mean mcdonald's is a really interesting example isn't it because it is one of those companies where you could you could quite easily see in like 20, 30 years' time that being completely automated. Well, you don't need anyone in, this, in one of those restaurants at all. And literally, people are going to drive up. They're going to talk to a computer in the kitchen. Yeah. It's just going to, robotics are just going to flip a burger uh, and it's just going to be pumped out the other end. But, but you, you're right. I mean, or, or, Tom, you're there in the kitchen. You're chatting to Alexa on your Amazon Echo, which yeah. I predict will be an enormous seller this Christmas. I, I think it'd be <clears> fascinating <throat> looking at John Lewis, Argos, and the you know, the big the big Christmas sellers. Yeah. What will be the robotic and the, the domestic AI things that will sell this year? And yeah. I predict that the Amazon Echo with the Alexa um, app will be a huge big seller. Okay. So you're there in the kitchen. Alexa overhears you saying that you fancy McDonald's breakfast. Out it calls, puts the order in, and then you know the drone comes and delivers it six months, you know six, yeah, yeah. you know tw- twenty minutes later. So you know you, you that 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 will I imagine be something in inner cities, you know, within a year. You know, I mean it's it's yeah. it's, it's already happening sort of with our apps. So so I think um, you know, and and if if um, if if you're if you're leading a full outward life then then you know that that's that's an addition to your life but what happens if someone is housebound or has some kind of condition which means they don't get to meet that many people what impact will that have as there is increasingly less interaction you know no milkmen um you know deliveries by drones etc and i think that's um by the world of work changing there will also be a change in the experiences we have as as customers as well you know which i, I think is is is, in, is interesting to look at which then of course links on to um the work we're doing in schools it's about. fascinating yeah yeah it is. absolutely it's so fascinating enormous. it's so enormous that's why to help me and my you know the people I work with and the people I interact with something as simple like the four C's can just help because it's so mm. such an enormous topic and it's so overwhelming when you sort of start picking away at it and you know yeah. what can we be doing now with our jobs to really to really focus on the human elements of a job which tend to be those caring collaborative curious and creative elements of a job and the yeah. more you can put that at the core of a role then the less the less easy it is to automate that particular job 
it's yeah, less yeah. E- less easy but not impossible so i guess robots could learn to be caring if they can kind of you know work out what the basic mechanics are behind that or or are these things that you're saying are the four c's such human sort of elements that it's the sort of thing that won't ever be replaced by robots are you just saying it might be it'd just be easier or or not as easy sorry uh to replace them or is it impossible um so a couple of points to that um having got a, a a close connection with someone who runs the um one of the world's two AI in marketing um, businesses, so uh, uh, so Frazy, and, and they they are um, it, it's amazing what they do. So the machine um, will then be able to it does it reads the emotions that um, a customer base would be most likely to open in terms of uh, email marketing subject line. So they're bringing AI to to the email marketing subject line, and it's just right. absolutely transformed businesses with that. However, <clears throat> machine learning will only go off the um, data it's been fed. So I think that's the other responsibility we have now, which is uh, which is a bit of an unusual one, in that as we are feeding more of this information into the cloud, we have a responsibility for the information that we're feeding in, because, yes, the, ro- the, the AI will be learning from all the information that we're giving it. And, in fact, Microsoft experienced um, towards the earlier part of this year a bit of an own, well, a bit of a backfire, really, in that Tay was his online chatbot that they used to set up a Twitter profile. Right. So could people differentiate between a human running a Twitter, uh, uh, a Twitter, you know, tweeting, etc., and uh, Tay, this chatbot? And actually, within 24 mm. hours, it had to be pulled down because it becomes so horrendously racist. It, <laughs> it, was, it was just awful because it had been learning all the words and all the emotions that it was taking from Twitter. Wow. So in response to your question of, well, are these things uniquely human? Well, they may not be. But as there are chatbots out there and AI learning from us, we do have a responsibility to just watch what we put out there because there will be, you know, these algorithms learning from what we put out there. So that's kind of one slot. The other response I have to that as well is that, yes, you know, we could conduct a longitudinal study looking at, well, in 10 years' time, did the four C's kind of, you know, do what they do, do, do what they did, you know, so how much statistical evidence is there that, you know, a, a robot is unable to be caring, et cetera. And who knows what the, the kind of future will hold. But I guess my, the feeling of responsibility I have now is we haven't really got time to do masses of longitudinal research on this because the pace of change is, is, is coming upon us so quickly. Um, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a feeling really that the world of work is going to change more in the next 20 years than there has in the last 200. So although my, my normal, you know, my, my desire would be to have lots of statistical evidence to kind of back it up and, yeah. You know, um, actually, I don't know if we've got an awful lot of time to do that, because in the meantime, we've got children in, in schools now who are potentially being taught a lot of static knowledge, um, which now could be Googled. You know, and what do employers want? They, they don't want children that can regurgitate a lot of stats. They want children who are able to make eye contact, build rapport, sustain yeah. emotional- be responsible relationships at work, be trustworthy, be collaborative. So I guess where the four C's comes from is looking at, you know, and the forward thinking schools are doing that, which is what is amazing, you know, um, but, mm. um, but it's difficult to test that. So there's this kind of dilemma and it's really difficult to test those soft skills because they're in the moment. They don't yeah. necessarily have a KPI attached to them, but um, you, you, you can start to see that in the, in the, in the large organisations that track it, where there are, uh, positive employee engagement surveys that tends to reflect 
in the customer satisfaction scores. So when yeah. a team feel good, the customers that they serve tend to feel good as well. And that's yeah. where that, that was. So that's just my kind of reply to the sort of four C's really is that, you know, at the moment, um, AI is unable to do that, but who knows where it's where it's going to go. But we have responsibility in that the artificial intelligence will be learning from the data we put in. So what is the data mm. we're putting in? If we're being racist and bigoted, well, then, you know, that's that's potentially um, going to have an impact on then the, the how that information is then stored. Um, and then the second thing then is we haven't sort of got I don't think time is on our side, really. We have to be thinking now what we can do to then, from a skills point of view, best um, serve our workplaces now and also with the schools. With the schools in the future. And you're right. I mean, it's really hard to test that softer stuff, isn't it? Um, mm. I remember having a chat with somebody at the school gates a, a few months back and we were having this conversation about, you know, the problems of Google and just how much information and data kids have right now at their fingertips i mean my six-year-old has got an ipad and he's always you know if we if he wants to find out something we just say yeah google it you know yeah and so you've got a situation we've got you know answers are easy to come by but i don't know whether kids necessarily understand what questions to ask i think that's the that's the key isn't it yeah i think that's the key that's where the curiosity bit comes in and and i think from a from a better business point of view i mean ultimately my, my 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 ultimate sort of um, interest in all of this is mental health and mental well-being and right. and with this kind of relentless work and inability to switch off from work uh, you know and as a working parent myself if if um, if my brain is so exhausted by the end of the day that all I can do is kind of um, ask Google what should I now do with my child <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then, then, then that's not necessarily the best you know, that's not how I would want, want sort of my, my, my day to go. But I think from a mental health um, point of view, I, I think, um, you know, I, I do believe there's a link in that our technology has never been stronger, but yeah. our mental health stats would suggest that we've never been weaker. Yeah. You know, work yeah, yeah. just isn't really working for a lot of people at the moment. And, um, and of course, tech can be amazing at providing self-help support groups for people and the ability for people to collaborate and connect online. But it's also responsible for some horrendous things as well, you know, where mm. that online chat room can then be a source of horror, you know, as well as support. So it just flushes up uh, a whole sort of new world for us to look at, of which there's lots and lots of sort of debate about that. But from the world of work, um, that those those companies that are are caring about their 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 employees' mental health um, tend to be the ones as well that get more loyalty from 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 their teams. So um, yeah. I think I think there's going to be some um, yeah uh, 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 you know interesting just just as the corporate manslaughter act had huge implications for companies having to physically look after their people. I think we will see increasingly more pressure from the government for organisations to need to look after the mental well-being of their people as well. Interesting. Because, um, yeah. And I, I wonder whether you have any sort of advice just to sort of round up now of, of kind of how you implement some of these changes. As you know, Laura, the premise of the Better Business Show is to kind of showcase the very best examples of, of companies that have found new ways of doing business or making things or selling things, um, you know, creating better, more responsible business and, and proving that sustainable models do and, and can work. I What's your advice for the companies that usually tune into this show to find inspiration and ideas? Because I look at the four C's and I think, well, it all makes absolute sense. Yeah. But it's not it's not always easy to implement this stuff, especially in the you know the cut and thrust world of you know quarterly growth, sales targets, all that type of yeah. stuff. To think about some of this stuff, which you know, quite frankly, some business people might consider to be quite sort of soft and fluffy. Um, yeah. How do you do it? How do you actually you know implement some of these changes? What's your advice? 
Um, okay, so um, on a very practical level, and I know this sounds quite sort of small, but the, all the organisations I've worked with some over the years and some really well-known brand names who make phenomenal amounts of money, um, those organisations that protect management one-to-ones, so time and space with their people, tend to be the ones that um, ultimately have a better year where more objectives are met. Those companies where the managers continually postpone or delay or cancel that annual appraisal or the quarterly review meeting tend to be the ones that get themselves into a, a, you know, a less strategic and less smart in which the way they work. So um, although it might sound a little bit kind of overly simplistic, I've noticed over the last 16 years working, you know, have the privileged position of working you know, with lots of amazing organisations is that those organisations that have in their schedule regular one-to-ones and catch-ups within their team and they stick to them and they honour them tend to be the teams that work better, feel more connected to the company vision and the organisational goal um, and, 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 and you know, the flow of information goes around, et cetera, and, and um, that it tends to be all around better. So I, th- yeah. I think it's, 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 it's protecting that time and space with your people. Yeah. Um, the second observation I've also seen is those organisations that help bring a little bit more variety to a, um, a human's working environment as well. And I predict that increasingly we will see more of these inside gardens happening. So some of the most aspirational, inspiring workplaces I've worked in, if you look at Heathrow Airport, for example, from a passenger point of view, around Terminal 3, um, uh, they're bringing in these living walls. So inside gardens, you know, the vertical gardens that that are a calming and inspiring place to queue as a passenger. And uh, they've also started to bring that into the head office. And I predict that over the next three to five years, we will see more and more nature bringing brought in because people tend to feel more human when they're with other humans and they're with nature. And I think the most forward thinking schools bring nature in. The most forward thinking organisations will bring nature in. So if you think about it, you know, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an office where you've got the window seat, you tend to feel happier. And if you feel happier, you'll tend to work more. So I think there's a link between human productivity and that kind of uh, how you feel in your work. And we tend to feel more human the more time we have with other humans and the more time we have with nature, which I know is a bit of an unusual way <laughs> to look at it. But uh, that's the fascinating thing that robots and AI bring to you, because yeah. um, the more we bring machines into our work, the more we need the humans to bring forth their most human side forward. Otherwise, where's your competitive advantage? And we tend to bring out our most human aspects in our jobs. Yeah. when we are with other humans and when we're closer to nature. So there we go. I would start investing in um, uh, vertical yeah. garden walls. That would be where I'd put my money. <laughs> vertical garden walls. And there we have it. Yeah, I mean, ignore ignore your people at your peril, basically. Yes. Um, Laura, it's been fascinating. I love the, the whole concept of the four Cs. I mean, all the tenets there, you know, needed in bringing about a much needed change and, and creating more resilient, robust, sustainable companies, which is, you know, why I was so keen to speak with you here on the show. Uh, but it's been brilliant. Really appreciate your Thank time you. coming on and uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you. And if there's one final thing I'd say about energy, which probably links to what, what your, your, your um, listeners might be interested in. I found it absolutely astonishing just to learn a few stats and facts about our brains and how much energy we consume. So our brains weigh 2% of our body mass, but it, 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 it takes 20% of our daily calorific intake in order to function. So, um, you know, looking after ourselves physically means that we then are smarter as well because our brains can operate. And our brains operate on only about, I think it's 120 watts of power. 
So our brains operate on a really small amount of power, whereas IBM's Watson, which is their most uh, um, kind of um, advanced AI, uh, I think it's something like 750,000 watts or something. So from an energy point of view, um, the more machinery and the more artificial intelligence we have, it takes a vast amount of energy, which is why a lot of organizations store their big um, you know, mainframes underwater now because there's so much heat that's emerged. Wow. So um, yeah. although AI has recently helped Google drop its um, uh, energy bill by 40%, there is also a knock-on effect of using all this machinery and artificial intelligence. So I think as well from a, 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 from a, a tough business perspective, a tougher business perspective, um, the more we can kind of get optimum productivity from the humans using all of that brain power we have, then the smarter and more efficient that, that organisation as well. But I just thought that was quite an interesting thing to add for your listeners in that um, I went to a lecture um, as part of delivered by someone at Google DeepMind and their company vision is to solve human intelligence to benefit humanity. And, you know, that's where all the big brains are now looking at. And I just thought that was quite interesting from a brain point of view, just how phenomenal our brains are. And on a Monday morning, <laughs> how much are we actually using our full capacity? <laughs> <laughs> so that's always my call to action. If I'm not if I'm not better than Google in this moment, then what value am I actually adding? <laughs> yeah, good. Laura Thompson there, CEO and founder of Phenomenal Training. Uh, love that whole concept of the four C's and how human endeavour and value must trump the rise of the robot if companies are to succeed in the future. Uh, the robots are coming. Look busy. Anyway, before I go this week, just another reminder to sign up to the Better Business Show newsletter. Just go to our website, betterbusiness.show. You'll find a big box at the top there. Give us your email address and you'll start getting our newsletter. Of course, on the website is all of our previous 43 episodes now. Uh, So building up a brilliant catalogue of uh, of past episodes. Loads of great companies to, uh, to find inspiration and insight from. Uh, from across a whole bunch of different sectors. So to have a look at that if, you, uh, if you're new to the show. Uh, and of course, you can find us on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud. That's probably where you're, you're listening to us right now. But we're also available on TuneIn, on Stitcher, on Deezer as well. Um, but that's it for another week. Uh, we'll be back again on Friday. We'll definitely get our Friday Five show going again this Friday lunchtime. So look out for that. Uh, but until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.